Good evening, Hume Lake. Are you excited to be here tonight? Yes! Man, I am so excited to be with you. My name is Eric, and I'm a next-gen pastor. I'm a teaching pastor at Purpose Church in uh, Los Angeles County, California. we have any people from Los Angeles County here? Any Los Angeles County people? No one. Okay, cool, cool. Well, I'm so glad you guys are here, and I am believing that it is not an accident that any one of you are here. And maybe some of you were the very first to sign up to camp, and you were coming to get the Kurth Cup. You were coming to hang out with a girl. You were coming to hang out with some friends of yours, but maybe God has something different for you. Or maybe you had no idea you were coming to camp until this morning. That maybe your mom or dad or whoever takes care of you woke you up and said, hey, you're going to camp. And all of a sudden you jumped on a bus and you're not sure exactly why you're here. Well, I want to make it crystal clear from the very beginning that I believe God's design and intention was that every single one of you would be here this weekend. That whether you would say you're far from God or you want more of God, that he wants to show up this weekend. The question is, are you willing? Are you open to that? And so what I want to do is I want to invite us to pray right now. And as we pray, I want, I want you to hold your hands out like this. And, and when you're holding out your hands, all you're saying is, maybe for some of you, it's, God, I don't even believe you're real. I don't even believe you exist. And if that's where you're at today, you're holding your hand just saying, God, if you're real, would you show me yourself this weekend? Maybe some of you, you know he's real, but you need more of him. And you're holding your hand saying, God, I need more of you. Wherever you're at, we'll hold our hands open and say, God, we're, we're just open to what you have in store for us this weekend. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for every one of my new friends here. I thank you for their lives and their stories that you know better than anyone else, even better than themselves. I thank you, God, that you brought them here. And as they hold their hands open, you know where their hearts are at with you. You know how they feel about you. You know the questions that they have about you, the anger they hold towards you, the disinterest they may have in you, or maybe, God, their, their hearts are desiring more of you. Would you meet every single student, every single leader, every single staff, me included? Would you meet us this weekend in a powerful way? In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Well, I'm hoping this weekend to get to know you a little bit. Let me introduce myself uh, to you guys. Again, my name is Eric, and, and I'm married. I wanna show you a few pictures of my family. That's me and my wife, Sarah, okay? We've been married almost 14 years, and I guarantee you when you saw that photo, two questions popped into your mind. The first question was this, where did his hair go? Like, what happened? Y'all got to take that up with God. I don't know. Balding is a thing. And so that just kind of happened to me. The second question all of you are asking is this. Was he 14 when they got married? No, we were 16. So we got me. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. That's why I was there. Then a little bit later, that's our son, Charlie, here. Here's the thing. All weekend, I want to invite you to be really open and honest with the people that you came up to camp with to process what God is teaching you, and that's gonna require you to be vulnerable. So I wanna be vulnerable with you right now. Yes, that is me in feety pajamas, okay? That's a grown man in feety pajamas. I recognize that's kind of traumatizing, but that's what again, my wife Sarah and, and Charlie. It's been several years since then. Let's go to the next photo. I think we have another one of our family. Oh, I love this photo. This is our next daughter, Brinley. Or we have Charlie, our son, and then we have Brinley. I love this photo because Brinley has a heart after the Lord. She's now nine years old. Charlie's 10. She loves the Lord. And at this age, I, I just felt like two things are possibly happening right now. 
Like she's in the spirit, right? She's just like worshiping Jesus or she's just going, hey, it was me. I farted. Like, I don't know what it is, but she's just all in on it. Let's go to the next photo. I think we have another photo. Oh, yeah, I love this photo because after Charlie and Brinley, then Lila came around and, and we were trying to take like kind of like a candid family photo. But my wife literally is like almost dropping Lila and Lila's having a near death experience. OK, she's not sure she's going to make it through the photo shoot. Let's go to the next photo. I think we have another one. Okay, so that's all of them now. That's Levi. So we got Charlie, Brinley, Lila, and Levi. And that's the Holmstrom family. But I want to tell you a story about how all of this almost never happened. When my wife Sarah and I were just friends, and I had been crazy about her for a while. I remember when we first started hanging out with each other. We were talking so much, and, and I went into the living room where my mom was at after Sarah and I had finished a phone call, and I said, Mom... I'm going to marry Sarah. And she said, who's Sarah? Like, what is going on? I was like, I'm crazy about this girl. And, and, and I remember one afternoon as Sarah and I were talking, and as I could tell some feelings were forming, she said, Eric, why don't you come out to where she was at school? She said, why don't you come out to my school, and we'll play some tennis, and, and we'll hang out. And then I want you to go to dinner with my best friend, Katrina, and her boyfriend, Blake. All right? Now, I didn't date a lot in high school, not by choice. It just didn't work for me. So I didn't date a lot. So this was a big deal that she wants to introduce me to her best friend. And then it gets better. She said, Eric, it was a Monday. She said, Eric, on Saturday, Blake is going to propose to Katrina. He's going to ask Katrina to be his wife. And there's going to be this big surprise engagement party. And I'm planning it. And I talked with Blake. And Blake said that I could invite you and that you could come to the party. This was going to be like the most exclusive party of the year. And I'm getting invited into it. And this was like a huge deal for me. As I was driving out to visit her, I was... I was remembering, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't be there that weekend for that party, and I was so devastated. And so after Sarah and I were kind of playing some tennis and hanging out, I asked her, I said, Sarah, is it okay if I thank Blake? Like, I want to make sure he knows that I think this is a really big deal and that I'm really appreciative that, that, that he would be okay with me being there. And she said, yeah, yeah, totally. So we go to dinner, and I'm sitting right here, and Sarah's sitting right here, and across from me is Blake, and Katrina's right there. And you guys, for the first 15 minutes, I was on my A game. You know what I mean? You've been in those situations where every joke lands, right? Like, you think of every smart thing you've ever learned. Like, and you're just, it was, it was working, man. It was awesome. And then literally at the 15-minute mark, like, that's when my creativity and awesomeness wears off. So it was at the 15-minute mark. That all of a sudden I didn't know what to say next. And I started to get nervous because I'm meeting Blake for the first time and Katrina. And they're really important people to Sarah. And, and all of a sudden my hands start getting sweaty and I don't know what to say. And, and I'm freaking out. And then all of a sudden there's that awkward silence. Which Just raise your hand if you hate awkward silence. I hate awkward silence. It's, just, it's awkward and I didn't know what to say. And, and so I, I was just thinking too much. And, and all of a sudden I just looked at Blake and I said, Blake, thank you for inviting me to the party on Saturday. I, I can't be there. And you guys, silence. Like, not a word from anyone. Just eyes real big staring back at me. And, and I'm the kind of guy I can sense the awkwardness. It's worse than it was before. And if you're anything like me, you just dig yourself deeper and deeper and deeper. And so I say, Blake, I, I can't come to the party on Saturday. I've got this event that I'm going to be at. I can't be there. I'm sorry. Again, silence, big eyes, no reaction at all. And then I don't know why, but for some reason I said, Blake, 
I can't come to your engagement party on Saturday because I got this thing going on. And you guys, I didn't know what I was doing. I feel like the Holy Spirit just took me to another place. Like I just didn't understand how I was ruining an engagement, which is like, it's almost the unforgivable sin. It's bad. You don't do that. So somehow I kind of didn't really understand what I did. We somehow finished the dinner. Blake and Katrina left. And all of a sudden, I'm leaving with Sarah. And I could tell she was just a little distant. I could tell something was up. And I'm like, I'm an emotionally sensitive guy. I can pick up on these things. So I throw my arm around Sarah. And I say, I say, hey, Sarah, is everything okay? I'm like, is everything? You know, I just want her to see my sensitive side, right? So I'm like, is everything okay? And she goes, and, and if you knew my wife, she is the sweetest, kindest, most gentle person in the world. She lunges away from me, right? And again, you guys remember, I didn't date a lot in high school, so I'm like, maybe it's just what women are like. I don't know. I don't know. So I'm just kind of like, what's going on? And that's when she tells me, she goes, Eric, didn't you know Blake and Katrina are not engaged yet? You just ruined their engagement. And you guys, I, I literally, in my head, I prayed. I said, Jesus, if you're taking requests for when to come back, now's a great time. Like... <laughs> I just ruined my life. Like, come on back, right? I remember driving home that night, and I was like, my, I had an iPod at that time, and it died, and I was half crying because literally, I was like, God gave me one chance to be married, and I ruined it. Like, it's done. <laughs> but in the other half of the time, I was laughing because I'm like, maybe I'll write a book and make a million dollars. I don't know. Maybe I'll tell this story someday. And here we are telling that story. Here's the thing. Unfortunately... Sarah got to know one of my flaws, that I had kind of portrayed this picture up until this point. I really wanted Sarah to believe I was perfect, that I had it all together. But the reality was, in that moment, she saw that I was human. She saw that I didn't have it all together. Maybe for some of you, when you think about God, you wonder if he might fail you the same way other people have failed you. And maybe for some of you, one of the reasons you haven't stepped into a relationship with God, you haven't been willing to give up those things, you haven't been willing to say yes to God, is because so many people in your life, like me and others, have failed you, have let you down, and you're absolutely convinced God is going to do the same. Then maybe for some of you, you're convinced that, that if there is a God, he hates you and he wants nothing to do with you. There was a woman sitting in my office once telling me about all the abuse and trauma she'd experienced in her life. And then at the very end of it, as if she had said it a hundred times before, she said, and I know God hates me. I let her finish sharing, and then I said, I'm so sorry for all that you've experienced, but I need to tell you something. God does not hate you. And in fact, if you're wondering how God feels about you, look to the cross. Look to this story we're going to be spending our whole weekend investigating and exploring together the story of Jesus. If you're wondering right now in this room, how does God feel about you? All you have to do is look at Jesus. Don't look at your circumstances. Don't look at the things going on in your life. Look at Jesus and his willingness to die on a cross, to rise from the dead for you because he loves you. But maybe you're still going, well, who is this God? 
Well, that's precisely what we're going to spend our time talking about tonight. You can find me as Mikey did a great job setting us up in the book of Ephesians. If you brought your Bibles, in fact, I want to encourage you every single chapel, bring your Bible, bring a journal, bring your notepad, bring a pen. I want you to take notes. My hope and desire is that everything I share up here, that you would take it into your cabin times and you would discuss it, that you would wrestle through it. That you would go deeper together, and so take some notes so you guys can talk about it. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17, Paul says this, So I tell you this, and I insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live. If you got your Bible and you like underlining like I do, underline the word live. Paul says, I insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility, underline the word futility, of their thinking. Underline the word thinking. Paul says, I, I beg you to consider no longer living from the futility of your thinking. The word futility means empty void of purpose and hope. In other words, Paul makes this really important connection that we need to make all of us tonight, and it's this, that there is a direct connection to what you think about God and how you live your life. And sometimes looking at the way you actually live your life will tell you more about what you actually think about God. And here Paul says, there's a way of living that's so destructive and it's rooted in empty thinking. And so I want us to spend some time analyzing what do we think about God? Then maybe for some of us, we need a big picture of who God is, a better picture of who God is. Because it will be the beginning of a new life for us. That if we're going to be recrafted, we need to be first introduced to the craftsman. And that's what I want us to do tonight. If you're the note-taking type, here's our first big idea. God created the world to display his glory. God created the world to display his glory. If Again, if you brought your Bibles, it'll be up on the screens too. But if you brought your Bibles, go to the very first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1. It's the opening pages of the story of God, of who God really is. And the author, Moses, as he's penning these words, inspired by the Holy Spirit, he says this, In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And simply in verse 1, the author of Genesis introduces us to the reality that God is eternal and that God pre-existed all creation. That God is not a figment of our imagination. He's not an idea that we made up. That God pre-existed all things. That he is eternal. The, the book of Genesis really answers the questions for us. Who created the world? What did God create? And why did God create the world? And it begins like this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. 
and this incredibly beautiful descriptive poem about how God created the world introduces us to who he is, to his character. And one of the things we see that pops off the pages is that God is intentional. That God has created all things and in fact, in his creation of the world, he has left evidence of himself for you and I. That he has left his fingerprint so that none of us would miss it. We live in a culture right now that is seeped in futile, empty thinking. The message of our culture is everything is an accident. Everything is random chance. There is no God. And in fact, if there is a God, you are God. Do whatever you want with your bodies, with your lives. None of it matters. But the true message of God, the truth is that God created all things and he left evidence of himself all over the place. In fact, scientists, scientists have just discovered what Genesis written 3,400 years ago was talking about. Scientists have stumbled upon something that they've coined the 122 constants. The 122 constants are, are these 122 scientific realities, scientific laws that prove life on planet Earth is a statistical miracle. That prove it's not an accident that any one of us are here, but that it is literally a miracle. Let me just share a few of these with you now. Earth's atmosphere, here on Earth's atmosphere, Earth's atmosphere is comprised of 21% oxygen. Here's what scientists have discovered is that if Earth's atmosphere had 22% oxygen or it had 20% oxygen, if it was just off by 1%, that fires would erupt all over planet Earth and none of us would be here. And so I want you to do something with me on the count of three. I want you to take a deep breath in. One, two, three. And then exhale. You do that hundreds of thousands, millions, billions of times throughout your life? And have you ever connected the dot that the fact that you are able to take a breath, to stay alive, to be in this room, even as you're sleeping at night, you are breathing in and exhaling, that that is literally evidence that God created this place for you to know him. I mean, that's wild, we should be freaking out with every breath. We should be like, it happened again. <laughs> but check it out. There's more. There's more. Here's the second one. Did you know that if gravity was altered by 0.000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000
no, 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 no. Here's the thing, here's the thing, here's the thing. When your neighbor sat down next to you and you just watched Eli sit down, none of you applauded, right? Why? Because it doesn't take a lot to follow gravity, right? Like, there's no Olympic medal that says you sat down successfully, right? Like, it doesn't exist. But check this, check this. Have you ever thought that every time you sit in a chair, every time you lay down in your bed, every time you take a step and your feet remain grounded on planet earth, that it's as if God is saying, I'm keeping you here. As if God is saying, I designed this place that you could stay put on planet earth so that you could know me. Check out this one. Did you know that earth tilts at a 23 degree? It's not just kind of sitting there. It's like it tilts at 23 degrees. Here's what's crazy. If it was 22 degrees, if it was 21, or if it was, if it was a 24 degrees or 22 degrees, surface temperatures on planet Earth would be far too extreme. It'd be too hot and too cold. We could not survive here. And so when Genesis, written 3,400 years ago, says, for, says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the Earth, and God, like, tilts it, it's evidence that God wanted you here. That God made this place so that you would see his glory. Here's the last one. The universe is expanding right now. It's one of the reasons that more and more scientists every single day are proclaiming faith in God. Because if the universe is expanding, it means that it had a starting point. But here's what's awesome about God. As the universe expands, scientists tell us it's one of the 122. That if the universe expanded at the rate it's going right now... If it, if, it, if it decreased its speed by one one millionth or increased its speed by one one millionth, it would collapse on itself. And so as you take a breath in right now, as you stay rooted in your seat, as the earth continues to spin at 23 degrees and as the universe continues to expand without collapsing on itself, it's as if all of creation is shouting, wake up. Wake up, because there is a God, and he's holy, and he's powerful, and he's almighty, and he's good, and he's loving, and he pre-existed all things. This is why Psalm 19, verse 1 to 2, says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. The psalmist is saying, just look around you. That all of creation is displaying the glory, the majesty, the power, the hugeness of who God is. But this God, he has a name. This God wants you to know him. In John chapter 1, verses 1 to 3, this gospel writer is trying to tell the story of Jesus. And look where John chooses to begin the story of Jesus. It begins in this way. In the beginning. Does that sound familiar? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. John later, as he's poetically doing here, defines the Word to be Jesus. And so John, the gospel writer, says, Jesus, he's our creator. He's the one who got this whole thing started. But then God did something 
crazy in the creation story. And this is, this is our, last, or our second big idea. It's this. God created people to experience his glory. So not only did God create the world to display his glory, God created people to experience his glory. Later, going back to Genesis, as God is creating so many things and bringing plants into existence and separating the land from water, all of a sudden in verse 26 and 27, something happens that had not taken place up to this point. It says, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Did you know that you were created in the image of God? And, and maybe your boyfriend doesn't affirm that. Maybe your girlfriend doesn't affirm that. Maybe your pursuit of getting all these grades and, and, and going to this school is about hopefully one day someone will accept you. Could you just wake up to the truth of God's story? And it's this, that he made you in his image. So you have worth and value, not because of what you do for other people, not because of what a, a purpose that you fulfill in their lives, but because you were branded with God's image. You have dignity and worth and value not because you're verified on Instagram or not because your boyfriend says so after you guys engage in some sexual activity. No, no, no. You have worth and value because God, because God says so. And he made you in his image. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, just the next chapter over, it says, Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Life was always intended from the very beginning, from square one. Life was intended to be experienced in closeness to God. The way in which life comes about is through God breathing. In fact, in Acts chapter 17, verse 25, it says, And he, talking about God, is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and? Life and? God has given us our life and our breath. And so Adam and Eve, these two people he creates, have a perfect relationship with him. They have a perfect relationship with each other, perfect relationship with God. And he is almighty, he is powerful, he is holy, he is walking in the garden with him. And it's incredible. But I bet most of you are saying, okay, hold on, that's where I jump off the train because that is not my life. Because my life is far from that. In the city where I do ministry, up to March 1st, we have lost 27 young men to gang violence. That in a room this size, some of you experience pain and heartache from families. Some of you wonder if anyone will choose you. 
if anyone really loves you? How did all this stuff go wrong? Remember Sarah and I on one of our very first dates, I, I wanted to take her, I wanted to really impress her, and so I wanted to take her to an art museum, which I just thought would be like, I, I've never been to an art museum, but I was like, that's going to impress her. So I remember we pulled up to this art museum, and there was this perfect parking spot literally right outside of the art museum, and I just thought, oh my goodness, God really wants us to be married. Like, this is perfect. He's giving me the best parking spot. And so we walk inside, we're in the art museum, and I'm trying to pretend like I know what these art pieces are, and we get out of the art museum, and the sun has set, and we go to where the car was parked, and it had been towed. And this is one of our first dates, you guys, like worst first day ever. And I'm panicking, trying to figure out what to do. I run to the info booth, and I tell the guy, I say, I, 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 I parked my car right here. It's gone. What should I do? And he said, you need to jump in a taxi. This was before we had Uber and Lyft. He said, you need to jump in a taxi, and you need to get down to where your car is being towed. Because where they are parking your car, the tow lot, is literally like the street that divides the blood gang and the crypts. Like, like you, need to, you need to get down there soon. It gets really dangerous there at night. And so I flagged down a taxi, and Sarah and I jump in the taxi, and, and we start telling the guy about what happened. He said, oh, yeah, I'm driving down there all the time. And, and in fact, it's so dangerous down there, and I've had so many incidents since I've been down there that I pack heat. And he literally, as he's driving the car, pulls out his gun, okay? <laughs> just, just envision you're trying to impress somebody, okay? I'm on a date with Sarah. That was our first date, and the guy's already got a Glock. Like, it's just not not going well. How did we get there? How, how do we become so crippled by anxiety and depression and self-harm? I remember once asking a group of students that I work with, I said, would you raise your hands if Somebody, one of your peers, has ever told you, hey, you should go kill yourself. And almost every hand went up. How did we get there? We're going to talk about that more tomorrow, but, but here's our last big idea. The enemy is trying to reverse everything God has done. God created chose to bring you and I into the world because he loves us. But the enemy, Satan, is trying to reverse and undo everything God has done. In John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus said these words, the thief, talking about Satan, comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Satan comes to steal your joy, kill your faith, and destroy your life. But God moved heaven and earth this weekend. That God brought you here to reveal himself to you. A true picture of who he is. And I want to invite you, as Mikey so wonderfully said in the introduction, I want to invite you to lean in this weekend. Because it was at a camp similar to this about 23 years ago that I went up for all kinds of bad motivations, not knowing anything about Jesus. And then I met him at camp and my life has never been the same.
And maybe, just maybe, God wants to do something in your heart and life this week that will leave you never the same. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for every single student here and every single leader here. Thank you for their willingness to come up to camp. I think about Jesus when so many followers were kind of walking away from you and Peter had that moment where he just said, where else would we go? You have the words of eternal life. God, I pray that every single one of us, me included, me first, Lord, would would be humbled this weekend. God, would you expand our picture of who you are according to your word, which can be trusted? And would you do a work in us this weekend that will leave us never the same? In Jesus' name we pray.